are you, bud? Welcome to the Georgia Ramble, a new section of the Rorschach Update. Every now and then, we'll release a special episode that includes a more or less unedited conversation with a guest, discussion about whatever pops into our heads and is relevant to Georgia. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Teresa Sanakoeva, a young woman who was born and raised in South Ossetia, now lives in Tbilisi. Chat about her life experiences. Hope you enjoy it. Send some feedback to Georgia at Rorschach.com. Hey, everybody. I am uh, here in uh, Tbilisi, Georgia, on the 12th of, uh, of June, 2023, with Terasa Sanakoeva, um, who I have met very recently, but is from Srinvali and is an Os- is Ossetian. Um, which is interesting because it's an important place for Georgia and for the world. And uh, she was talking about her life and experience and ideas, and it was just cool to hear. And, uh, and so I thought it'd be interesting for listeners on uh, on the Georgian Ramble to uh, to just hear um, what she had to say. So that's what we're doing here right now. Um, so, Zerasa, thank you very much for, uh, for showing up and allowing me to chat with you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So um, I want to start out with, um, you know, you telling me, uh, your story personally. Um, so that, you know, let's start with grandparents and parents and, you know, and then, and then your, uh, you know, your, your life up to, uh, up to now. Okay. So, um, well, so I was born in Sumali, born and raised. I spent seven years, my childhood there. Uh, and I was eight when the war happened. Uh, so that's when we moved to Tbilisi. Uh, my grandparents are really incredible people. Like all my, my whole family, uh, were all ethnically Assyrian. So that's, they also spent their whole lives in Srimbali. My parents too, they built their whole lives there. Uh, my dad did a lot of traveling here and there. Uh, he was in the military and he was studying in, uh, Moscow. My mom went to St. Petersburg at some point and, so yeah, they've been moving around, but essentially their whole life was in Srinvali. And what I think of Srinvali, it's such a tiny place, right? It's like the population is like 30 to 50,000 people. But uh, as, as I was growing older, I always viewed it as this epicenter of so many stories, so much pain, so much joy, uh, so much emptiness too. And that's how I started viewing it ever since the war happened, basically. Uh, Just like this place that it's so tiny, but it's like kind of a world of its own, right? So uh, it also helped me a lot because like my family personally suffered a lot with the war as well. And uh, we've lost a lot of things. We had to make a lot of sacrifices and this war separated my family in half, which, um, which was an extremely confusing experience for a young kid, I would say, because me growing up uh, in my family, my grandparents played a huge role in my upbringing. So I would spend even like a lot more time with my grandparents than I would often spend with my parents, actually. So um, in our culture, uh, which is like very shared with Georgian culture in, ge- in general, uh, Families are always big, they're always loud, they're always crowded, but messy and fun. And and you never feel alone, right? So it's always the comfort zone, the comfort space. I had a bunch of cousins. I never felt the need to make new friends because there's always like so many of us. And um, the whole period, like leading up to the war, 
I just have the the best memories actually. So like nothing leading up to the war is like ever said in my mind because like all I remember is just me being outside with my cousins, doing all the fun stuff, spending time with my grandparents, doing doing farming with my grandpa, and uh, just living the unbothered life. So and and did you live like in Skin Valley town or did you live on a farm or nearby? No, no, or? we lived. In, in the town. In the in the town. Yeah. And, and then just a, uh, a few points. So you said your dad was in the army, and most of the Jordans that I know have been in the army, mm-hmm. like they uh, they spoke Russian very well with yeah. that. And so the the all this fun that you were having with your cousins, whatever, what language was this in? Was it in a Russian or in a Setian um, or did anybody speak a Georgian? It was in a Setian. And the weird thing is that I've actually never heard Georgian. Like, um, before I came to Tbilisi. So like in Svinvali, I think the older generation are the carriers of Georgian language mostly because in school we studied in Russian and Ossetian. So it was kind of like a bilingual type of thing. And uh, yeah, we didn't even have Georgian as a language, as a class that but was so taught in, to us. In Svinvali itself, there were no Georgians. Everybody was Ossetian. Uh, no, I don't think that is true. There are Georgians that live there. I just never, like, they, there's not a lot of kid, interaction you know? in Georgian yeah. language. So it's not common to hear it. And had you been to Tbilisi or anywhere, like, before you were, before the war? Like, had you traveled no. in Georgia at all? Had no. you traveled in Russia or you just were in Svinvali? Uh, no, the only place that I traveled to was like North Ossetia, which uh-huh. is a part of Russia right. officially. So that was my only, like, to and it was for us. relatives or yeah, like, cause, yeah, like just... my other relatives lived there and that was basically like the only places I ever knew. So it was just Kimbali, some other villages around Kimbali, uh-huh. um, and, and Vladikovkaz basically. So, and you, you said you did some farming with your grandfather. What kind of business was your, were your mom and dad in and how, like, you know, did everybody sort of, did the whole family live in one kind of compound in Kimbali? Yeah. And, yeah. Like, so it was Enzo more of a communal and, thing, definitely. So my grandparents built this family house. Uh, they started building it ever since they got married. So they were like building it for years and years. And then like always kind of lived there together. And, um, I wouldn't say like, we didn't have much growing up, right? So, like, definitely a lot of financial uh, hardships uh, as well. But I, again, I never felt it as a kid because as a family, uh, we just always had this, like, uh, the perfect set of values that you can put into a child's mind, right? So, like, they taught me very early on things about gratitude, things about being present and just, you know, accepting things as they are. Uh, So I never felt like we're lacking things. And I always thought I have everything I could ever want. So my my grandpa, he was really into agriculture. So I had this whole garden with all these trees and we have animals and uh, we had a cow who's my best friend, my favorite thing ever. Uh, So we had the the chickens, the, you know, all these vegetables, fruits, like everything uh, at one place. And then my grandpa would build all this like, crazy irrigation systems and take care of the soil and do the full farming. And so we always had like the fresh produce and everything. And that was really fun. So I really liked to spend mornings with him and explore like the whole routine. And he really cared for it. So he would like teach me a lot of things about that. But uh, with, yeah, with their background. So like my whole family is just like a bunch of math people, mathematicians and uh, physicists. So like, uh, they, everybody in my family has higher education. Uh, but my, uh, grandma, uh, had to give up 
a lot of her career to take care of the family, the usual sacrifice that women had to take back in the USSR and uh, even now. So uh, my dad, uh, on the other hand, uh, from a very young age, started building a political career. So he was very politically active uh, and uh, he was doing a lot of social work as well. And he was trying to get his voice kind of heard in the political arena. My mom is by education, she's an economist. And she did some work with OECD uh, right before the war. There was a mission uh, of OECD in in South Ossetia, and she was doing some work here and there, too. Um, But yeah, uh, so my dad was, I I think, the only person in my family uh, that had like a very defined vision for his career. So he was always very driven, very passionate about what he believes in. And uh, he always fought for it, for what he thought was right. And uh, he always believed that there's got to be like another way to do things better, to bridge this gap between the uh, the Assyrian people and the Georgian people, especially given that he saw all these things like unfold during the 90s and all the civil wars and all the clashes and the whole crisis. So, yeah. But, and so was his focus on South Ossetia itself, meaning, you know, you had different Georgian villages and whatever, trying yeah. to get them to get along to you know, make South Ossetia better mm-hmm. and whatever else. Yeah. Was he also specifically focused on somehow integration with Georgia? I think that was the next step. In his the next step. And yeah, he was, he, he, he he did, was thinking of that. He did start with focusing on, on rebuilding South Ossetia after the whole mess in the 90s right. and helping people in the best ways he could. So sure. he there was a lot of work. A lot of work to be done. Right. So, like with the infrastructure, healthcare, uh, so many housing issues, a lot of political instability, a lot of polarization. Mm-hmm. So, I think that was like the the first stage. He just started like figuring out what can be done in the region, and then how because like the the ethnic conf- the ethnic right. conflict was there all along. So then he kind of moved on to that part where he and tried to approach that. As a kid, I mean, do you remember? And you know. You're a pretty young kid, but like, you know, before the war, do you remember attitudes towards Georgians? Everybody talk about Georgians, everybody care about Georgians. Was it somehow present either the danger or just sort of ethnic stereotypes or anything else? Or was it just you didn't know any Georgians and the topic didn't come up? No, I actually remember very vividly. I remember a lot of things from my childhood. And the the thing the thing is that I don't I haven't really had that type of like interactions where Georgians would be like brought up in a negative way or with a negative connotation to them. It was very normal. Like we had, we did have, I remember a television, the Georgian television. So like the Georgian media uh, would be like broadcasted in our home, like and in Georgia, they would speak in Georgian language, but I would hear it here and there, but it wasn't as common, right? So like I would, I loved hanging out with like grandmas and grandpas. That was like my crowd. So they would occasionally kind of, throw in some Georgian phrases and like remember their university years that they spent in Tbilisi because a lot of them did go to like Tbilisi State University. My grandma did as well. So uh, we like I never heard that narrative of like Georgian people being this or that. I did hear some stories from the 90s, from the, you know, the civil clashes uh, between Georgians and Abkhazians, Georgians and Assyrians, Assyrians and Abkhazians, right? It was a complete mess. Right. And nobody was there to kind of uh, either 
report it or like under right. acknowledge it or like what's happening. You know, that it was so chaotic. So I would hear all these stories from, you know, uh, in Australia, we also have a thing very similar to a Supra. Mm-hmm. So uh, usually that's where all the stories would be like shared and told. So as a kid, kind of waiting for my parents to like finally finish their drinking <laughs> and like having fun, I would just be sitting there and listening to all the stories. And yeah, I think a lot of them would bring up the story of, oh, a Georgian soldier like murdered someone in my family. But like, it was always with this huge sadness of feeling like, how did we end up here? Like we were literally all coexisting, living in peace. And we share so many values, so many core beliefs and traditions and the culture. And I think a lot of people were just really confused by the whole thing, being so violent and just like so, um, right. yeah, so instigated by like a completely, you know, unrelated third party. It was like, you know, right. it was very complicated. Yeah. Um, an unrelated third party, meaning <laughs> Russia. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. So uh, speaking of which. Uh, you know, my, my, my theory that we, we, you know, talked about the yeah. other day when we met, um, you know, I think the critical moment was the Boney M concert. Totally, you know, yeah. <laughs> the Boney M concert, you know, that there was Boney M was very popular in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then they played and I think it was Shani and it was just a, yeah. you know, it was a big thing. And, uh, I, I feel like that was just a, like, you know, at, at that point that, that uh, Putin was like, you know, we're, we're losing the hearts and minds. It's not going the right direction. Um, and, uh, and you actually, I was not at the concert. I was, you know, I was in Georgia at the time. Oh, you missed I, out. Yeah, well, I <laughs> know. I've never really actually fun. seen Boney Evans. So, but you remember. So tell me your memory of the, you know, the concert. Honestly, movie. it was fabulous. Like the concert itself, it was a blast. It was amazing. And also like the mix of the lineup was also hilarious because they had Bonnie M and then some Georgian rapper in the same concert. So I'm really curious about the event organizer who, did the, <laughs> who pulled the whole thing off. But yeah, the funny thing is that just like the fact that they managed to like bring Bonnie M, bring all those people together. And it was like, you know, seemingly like from a naked eye, there was like absolutely no political agenda. Can you imagine like how I just imagine, I just remember how happy all those kids were like in the, in the villages, like that, that came to the concert. Cause like nothing ever happens there. And then you have Bonnie M uh, without their costumes. though, which is like another funny story. Cause yeah. they got robbed in the airport. <laughs> Somebody stole their suitcases. So they had to, you know, perform in their casual attire. So I, yeah, it was like, it was insanely cool. I, I think that was like the highlight of my childhood. I was like seven and I have a picture with Bonnie M. So oh, I was like, okay, uh, I made it in life. So uh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, you know, the, the, the summer of 2008, you know, again, you're pretty, pretty young, but mm-hmm. where, you know, I was in Tbilisi at the time. And I remember the first thing I remember hearing was in July, mm-hmm. you know, people that I had not. I had not been to South Ossetia in several months, but in July, you know, the summer there'd always be kind of fights, like kind of firefights. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, you know, a lot of it was quite performative and, you know, whatever right. else, but it was performative. Mm-hmm. What I heard was that all of a sudden the sort of fights going on in July, particularly the end of July, it was like, wow, these are, it's it's, this is not yeah. what was going on before. Mm-hmm. And the implication was that there were, um, you know, spaznas or whatever, you know, coming from the north out of uniform mm-hmm. that were sort of providing weapons or training or whatever to the usual, you know, mm-hmm. dudes and 
they were all guys, you know, who were doing that kind of thing. Um, but I don't, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, so what, like, when did you begin to become aware in, in the summer of 2008 that like something weird was happening? I actually remember that day to the minute, right? So I, it was my regular uh, morning. I was watching cartoons and, and, and having my breakfast. On, 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 on the, the day of eight, the, the eighth of, of yeah. August. Yeah. When the, yeah. And then. So before that. In Skinvali, it nothing. It was fine. It was normal. And no, was, no, no. I, I don't think it was. It's just like my parents you, to the last point were trying to make things. Everything you know, normal. Yeah. Right. Got it. All is good. Nothing's happening. So even like when the war was already happening, I just remember them uh, frantically like trying to switch the news channels and like my mom having this like really worried face and like, because I we were in Belize, me, my mom and my dad, my, my brothers were in Belize that day. And uh, in my, August 8th? Yeah. You were in Belize? Yeah. And uh-huh. my bro- and my grandparents and my aunt and my cousins, all of them were back in Bali. So like literally half of my family, everybody was there. And uh, so it was very so like not they were not saying a lot right like my parents were not really making a lot of comments i just remember just like the expressions on their face like how horrified they are and just like running around the house trying to make it seem like it's a like nothing really is happening to me like trying to you know protect me um but then like at some point when they switched on the news and and i could see all the like kind of break out and I'm like what what, like what what is happening right and then the constant um the constant calling and figuring out who is where because my grandparents were in our house the whole time so they're all hiding in the uh underground um where like basements yeah in the basement yeah and then the tanks were in our garden and our house was burned and bombed and all sorts of things were happening. So they were actually like in the epicenter of all that. And then my family from Belize trying to make sure like to we, we stay in touch and we uh, make sure they're all right. It's just that, I don't know. I think I, I would never be able to understand what my dad felt like uh, in general with the whole story, right? Because he had to give up uh, the ability to be with his parents and his family uh, to pursue this political career path that he chose. So I think that expression on his face that I remember on the day of the war kind of sums it up all for me. And like that's loss and, um, and I had that much pain. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen that much pain on, uh, in somebody's eyes. So like that's I very really vividly tough. remember that. Um, but so had you been to Tbilisi at that before at that point, or was your um, father like he was, you know, beginning to work with the Tbilisi? He relocated in 2007. So what I, I, I was here, I was in Tbilisi before, but like for two days, uh-huh. basically. So I would just come and, and see him because like we would have this, so since he, he was in politics, I wouldn't be able to see him a lot of the time. So And so he came in 2007, mm-hmm. sort of on behalf of the Malakosetians yeah, to sort of try yeah. and deal with, you know, South Ossetia. Yeah, so since his narrative was to uh, try and figure out a way for South Ossetia to, you know, to work towards uh, territorial sovereignty of Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, he was unfortunately very alone uh, in that journey so like not a lot of people would share uh that um vision with him so um when he relocated and started cooperating with the georgian government to you know address the uh this issue that 
really backfired on him because like the and then the war started so he he cannot yeah. go back there now so like then he's there the like optics a, right the optics were not course, the best right. for yeah. him because it kind of looked like you know he's pushing his narrative from like a safe place like of course from police, which was not the case really so right. i think it's really important i tell the other side of the coin too uh because you can't really see all the sacrifices all the pain that it brings on to families and how it like really affects kids as well and like sure. your everything so yeah it, it was never an easy thing for him to do and i always admired that in him and so um have you been mainly in felici since then um since the war yeah since the war but you can you can go back and you have been back uh yeah so i uh, do manage to visit uh, which is again very complicated uh, every time I do uh, because of the political context within my family as well. But uh, I think it's always worth the risk. So for me, uh, my family that is uh, the other half of my family that is still living in Zimbabwe, uh they're so important to me. They're the top priority in my life is my my grandparents and and my cousins and my aunts and uncles, and I love them all so dearly. So not having the opportunity to be in their life and like, I miss on so many, so many important occasions and they miss out on so many things in my life. And it just always very heartbreaking uh, because every time I come back home, I kind of feel like I'm a guest. And I think in 2021, the last time I visited, it was my grandfather's funeral. That was when I was so fed up with the whole, because it's just such a tragedy. It's just so tragic. And I'm like, I'm so tired of this whole thing being so sad. So let's stop making it so sad. And whenever we get to be together, let's just focus on spending some quality time with each other and just actually feel like we're re reuniting as a family. And I'm not just some person coming here as a guest, right? So they're, because they're always trying to protect me. I'm the smallest kid, the youngest kid. And every time I come, you know, it just always kind of filtered, kind of, you know, they're never really let you into their world because they don't want you to worry too much. Right. So uh, that, you know, it always comes with that uh, happiness. Every time I'm there, I come back and it's really hard to process because you get reminded of all those things. and. Just, yeah. And when, when was the first time after the war um, that you uh, went back? In 2013. Oh, okay. So it was five years later. Su summer 2013. Yeah. Before that, it was basically mm -hmm. impossible to go there. Sure. Uh, and then every time I do go, I'm lucky to be able to like enter. But then, of course, it's just very complicated on the border uh, always. But uh, yeah, I always tell them. I just want to hang out with my grandma. Okay. Can I just like share right. stuff about my life? Right. It's not right. that complicated. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in Felici, um, you know, as an Ossetian, when you were, you know, during the war, you were quite uh, young and all of a sudden, you know, your parents had to make some pretty, you know, difficult decisions mm -hmm. and adjustments and, and whatever else. Um, do you remember your interactions for, in school and with, oh, yeah. you know, and how that, do. like how, what, what, you know, were you, I'm Ossetian and what does that mean? And what do people have to say about that? How do you, I mean, how do you feel that you yourself dealt with that and how were you dealt with by the, the Georgians you're surrounded by? 
So I very vividly remember this situation because I used to play tennis as a kid. And then, so that was my first year being in Tbilisi, literally like six months in. I started playing tennis. And then and I you was, didn't speak much Georgian. I barely spoke any Georgian. So like I knew like three words. That's all I knew. And then this guy that was working out with me, I, I remember vividly, he just told me I'm a separatist. And I was like, what? And then, <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, then a lot of bullying actually was coming in, like at school, because I have a weird name. My name is not like uh, a Georgian, like a typical Georgian name. Everybody gets freaked out every time I introduce myself. So especially when I was uh, growing up and when I went to school, I, yeah, I did go through a lot of bullying, especially with the language barrier too. Because like, I thought I'm a smart kid, but when you don't know the language, right, you can never really like respond back protect yourself or like trying to communicate and be like like what's the issue here so yeah definitely a lot of like weird um weird interactions and i felt very like isolated like i couldn't fit in uh so i made it my top priority when my parents moved me i begged them so i went to a russian school for the first two years while i was here and then i begged them for the whole i remember sixth grade i was like can you please transfer me to a Georgian school? Because if I don't learn this language, I'm always going to be on the, you know, on the sidelines and never sure. going to be able to blend in. And I really want to, and it sucks because I can't make any friends. I can't go out like on the street and play with kids because they're all, you know, calling me names and like constantly making fun, of, like whatever, you know, sure. kids are weird. So, uh, so they transferred me to a British Georgian school. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this in a year. Or like, it's it's all or nothing, right? So like seventh grade, I set myself on that mission. Again, of course, everybody makes fun of you while you are in the process of learning the language and everything. But I was like very determined. So I was very driven and I did learn it and I did ace it. So uh, basically like and nine, by ninth grade, you wouldn't, you, were you, you, you couldn't tell that. I, yeah, I was native. I was basically native. Like I mastered the whole dialect, all the intonations, everything. So I kind of wanted to be very good at everything that I do. So I escaped this vicious cycle of feeling like an outsider, being bullied and whatever. I think that was what really like ignited my curiosity and like striving for excellence in everything that I do. Um, huh. Yeah. Good way. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> turn it around that's a, yeah know, impressive and so and then uh university you you went like here or no no, no. i went uh so right after graduating from high school i went to budapest and mm -hmm. did my undergrad there mm -hmm. and i majored in international relations mm -hmm. um so i was always very passionate uh to understand those very complex concepts and how politics is affecting our, our daily lives and how we can have our power back and our control over our lives back. Because I've seen a lot of lives being broken, a lot of uh, people feeling completely lost and never recovering. And so I was always seeking for ways to empower those people and to help them break out of that cycle where something happened to them and then they felt completely hopeless to, you know, ever get, get out of that situation. So for me, it was education that did it. So education, I think, is the, the key to uh, post-conflict zones, especially because Timbali, after the war, never healed. I, wouldn't, I feel like the time has stopped there and people are stuck and young people are stuck. And that's the worst thing you can do to uh, any place where you keep young people stuck and 
not being able to do something meaningful with their lives. Well, that's a interesting point to ask you about what would you do if you were in charge of um, helping South Ossetia? I mean, from Tbilisi, your job was not to sort of, you know, quote, get, you know, get Simbali back, mm-hmm. um, but your job was to, um, you know, to just somehow make things better for people in South Ossetia? Like then what, what would you, what would you do? Uh, given that a lot of people uh, currently living there are very much in survival mode, that's why I would definitely address that issue uh, head first. Because when you're in survival mode and you don't have access to healthcare, there's no law, there's no, you, you're not protected in any way. There's a lot of human rights violations happening. And you have basically uh, very poor access to the basic necessities that you need to have. Uh, that's what I would address first to rebuild the infrastructure, right? Like just give people the first aid. Uh, well, Tbilisi can't rebuild the infrastructure in, in South Ossetia, but you know, what could it do? I mean, how, you know. No, it can be done, right? So like a part of what my dad did was uh, actually he would re- he represented the South Ossetian administration. What was the organization that could help fund uh, healthcare support or like education mm-hmm. opportunities for for people in South Ossetia? Mm-hmm. So there are ways to kind of get in some funds and get in some aid from Tbilisi to Trimbali. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated, but it's manageable, right? So if I were able to do something about it, like policy wise, or if I had the tools, political instruments to do it, that's I would just you know go go all in. On healthcare, on on infrastructure, and on education, absolutely. And I think education is just like the second stage, like after you give people the basic necessities and you, you know, you help them get out of the survival mode. The next step is to give them a gateway to a better life, and that's definitely through education. And I would definitely introduce more and more initiatives for South Ossetian citizens to be able to come to Tbilisi and maybe then see explore the rest of the world. Because right now the only gateway that they have is Russia. And uh, because they also sponsor education, higher education opportunities in, sure. in Russia. So well, I mean I feel like, you know, um under Misha that they they tried to do some of that stuff. And I don't know yeah. how much of it they did, how well it was done. I, I know I, I mean I feel like they did a little bit more in Abkhazia. Mm-hmm. Um that I know about. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in these things, but, um, you know, first of all, you know, did it work? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, was it, you know, Boney M. Okay. But like, <laughs> what were they, you know, medical stuff and bringing people in and, you know, and whatever else, um, oh, you yeah, know, that, whether, that and, did work. It, and well, I mean, I, my impression was that it sort of did, but I, you know, mm-hmm. my sources of information, not that, um, good, but weren't the South Ossetian authorities, and I'm sure after the war, even more so, like very much against that. I mean, didn't they, when they think of it as kind of a hearts and minds of campaign, course. and so they worry about it and, yeah. you know, and, but is that what they, I mean, they could close the border if they wanted to and not let people through or how would they, well, you know. thank God they? the Red Cross could, could always, you know, keep the, uh, keep the patients coming in, mm-hmm. really see in critical conditions and everything. So they, the international organizations kind of like allowed this right. to happen. Right. Although I think the most important part here was not really just providing that aid, but having the conversations, right? Because like the biggest issue 
is the South of Syria being so isolated and there's so very little communication happening between like people from from uh, from that region and Georgians and there's just so much misunderstanding. So like uh, the mentality of uh, people who live in Simbali, right? When they come to Tbilisi to do some medical treatment, they actually are scared because they feel like they're going to be judged or they're going to be, uh, uh, I don't know, at some sort of disadvantage here. Or like, risk look, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, they think Georgians have this like very negative attitude towards them which it might be true in some cases with certain people, but definitely not in masses, right? Like, you know, uh, not a lot of Georgians have, first of all, a very strong opinion towards the settings in general, because that's not what they think about a lot also, like in the day-to-day today in general. So uh, I think in, in Assyria, because just because I said earlier, time is kind of stuck, they still think it's the same narrative, the same environment that it was back in 2008 and the, and the years after sure. that. So, um, I, you know, you here living in, in, uh, Tbilisi and I have, I've been to, to Skinvali and South Ossetia before the war and, and, and Abkhazia a few times. Um, you know, you, you hear people in Georgia talking a lot about it these days, you know, <clears throat> I'll have people just the other day I was talking, saying something. I can't remember what South Ossetia came up in a conversation. And somebody, um, you know, said, no, 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 it's Samachablo. Say Samachablo. Yeah. You know, and I was like, you know, no, I don't feel like it. Like I, you know, in South Ossetia, it's been South Ossetia for a long time. I, you know, I feel comfortable saying that, you know, and like, just because that's the old Georgian name for it. Like, I don't like if. And I think the reason why is that I like I've known many Georgian people who attach themselves to the, you know, to the 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 old, you know, Georgian names as if that's something means something. Or if we say the de facto authorities, the de facto mm-hmm. government of Abkhazia, it's a government of Abkhazia, man. I mean, let's be real here. You know, it's like they control that like that. And I think call, saying putting de facto in front of everything, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it. Well, by the same token. And maybe you have a, a different opinion, but I'd be interested to hear about it. At the same time, you know, some pretty horrible things were done by Georgians in in South Ossetia um, and in Abkhazia. And I never hear Georgians talk about that. I never hear Georgians say we need to get the truth out about that. I hear people say they need to have illustration about who the KGB people were. I hear them, you know, talk about how we really need to get to the root of something that is in my political interest. But, but not, and I'm not saying that Ossetians and Alkhaz and others in those conflicts, Rus- Russians or Chechens or anybody else didn't do horrible things too. It's a war, lots of horrible things happened. And I don't know about the relative numbers of horrible things that have happened, but it seems to me considering the circumstance and that, you know, the Georgians have been kicked out of, of South Ossetia, that there's not, there's no Georgian influence in there at all or not much, um, you know, it would be a good first step for regular Georgians who have no connection to South Ossetia to begin looking at what happened there and bring out the, the you know, the truth about that. And I'd be interested to hear um, your, your thoughts mm-hmm. about that. So back to uh, your point about, like, should we call it so much or should we call it South Ossetia? Uh, 
I'm going to start there. So I, I think you would get a lot of backlash about that, about calling it South Ossetia or referring it to South Ossetia because it's uh, supposedly like a, a term coined by Russians. So that's, they kind of introduced that South Ossetia as like, as a term. Uh, but I, I always, I'm so confused because like when we talk about ethnic conflict, I don't think the focus should be on, on things like that. So like it's whether it's South Ossetia or like Samarchabla, because geographically just South Ossetia encompasses a lot more villages and Samarchabla just focuses on less villages if you, if you actually look at it geographically. So it's the right way geographically to say scientifically it's South Ossetia because or then it's Bali region. Bali region. Sometimes. Yeah. Let's, let's roll with that. So. Um, when it comes to, again, uh, the other point that you made about Georgians not really like owning up to the crimes or like rarely talking about the crimes that they did during their civil wars uh, in Abkhazia or South Ossetia, I think, again, we need to learn how to talk about these things in different ways, right? So people in general have very hard time accepting conflicting emotions. Uh, or uh, expressing opinions that might be conflicting. And of course, when it comes to wars and very sensitive, nuanced issues like this, it will always be conflicting. So I think it's, start, it, it's time we start restarting these conversations and being more comfortable with saying things like, yeah, I know Georgians did a lot of horrible things, and I know Assyrians did a lot of horrible things, or Apostians did a lot of horrible things. And 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 it happened, and it and in state of war, uh, <clears throat> in the state of war, unfortunately, people lose a lot of their moral compass. So you can't be judging nations and general mass opinions or visions or values by what happened by a specific group of people during that war, especially when they're soldiers. So I don't think we should allow. Uh, our emotions guide us when we when we make these judgments about these conflicts and when we talk about that. Because what we can't focus on is our shared loss and the shared pain. And because all of us, whether it's a, a Sadian family, it's an Abkhazian family, it's a Georgian family, we all lost someone and we all lost a lot of things and we all had to sacrifice a lot. So I think if we reshift the focus of the conversation to that and we reconnect with each other, on how we handled these experiences and how were we able to move forward from that and how we can help each other move forward in general and just make something better out of it. Because at the end of the day, if you don't do something with your pain, it's just useless pain. And it's really hard to, to live with useless pain. So I think it's way more comforting uh, to do something with it. For sure. Um, so anything... Um else that you feel like people who care about Georgia, Georgians, um, non-Georgians who live in Georgia, non-Georgians um, who are from Georgia, um, you know, non-Georgians who just happen to care about the place uh, should know about, um, you know, Simbali region, South Ossetia, Samachablo, Ossetians, um, or the entire topic that you feel like you know, is a is a thing that matters to you that is not as well understood by by people as it should be. I would definitely um, like to remind everyone the thing about Assyrian people, especially when I'm speaking to Georgian people, is just to 
remind them that we have just so much in common. And it's such a shame that there's this wall between us, uh, even when we're physically around each other. Uh, I think we should definitely focus on all the things that we all believe in, and that is family, that is culture, that is tradition. And we should focus more on the shared values and help, especially when it comes to young people, when I'm talking to young people, I would just genuinely always ask them to be more curious, to ask better questions, to remove their preconceived knowledge and the stereotypes that were passed on to them from older generations. Because I do believe we can do better than that. And I do believe we can be the driving force behind maybe making something better about the whole situation and and going closer to fixing it at some point, making it more realistic that someday we can we can have a reality where we can all coexist and the country in general can prosper and grow. So I think, yeah, start the hard conversations, listen more uh, and fight the urge to, you know, jump in with, with your opinion. So definitely that, that's what I would want to remind people of. Listen more. All right. <laughs> good, good advice, particularly to uh, talkers like myself. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. I, uh, I learned a lot. It's really, um, so, so interesting. And so, you know, I, I spent so much time here and I spent so much time, you know, thinking about this place, listening to people, you know, from here, um, and, uh, Ossetian voices. I've, I just have heard infrequently, um, and particularly of your, uh, you know, of your, of your generation. And we certainly have a lot in common because I remember in 2008, in Tbilisi, you know, trying to make sure my kids weren't seeing, you know, those things on TV as well. And they're, they're almost yeah. exactly your age and, and, uh, and, and, you know, always look for what, uh, what unites us rather than, uh, than what divides us. So, um, thank you very, very, uh, much. I appreciate it. Um, a whole nother aspect of your life, um, which are, uh, which are startups in which you occupy a senior position in, um, we didn't even talk about. And so that'll have to be the next conversation that, uh, that we <laughs> I have. I would love that. But I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for joining. If you have any ideas or suggestions of what to do in an upcoming Georgia Ramble, anybody you want to hear from, what we should talk about, anything you're curious about, topics otherwise, let us know. Send us an email at Georgia at Rorschach.com. That's R-O-R-S-H-O-K.com. Thanks. Nachandis. Nachandis.